Can I talk it? For Peter. I, I, I heard my name. That's like a starter's pistol, my man. Uh, so, yeah, uh, it's around 9 o'clock. Most places in the world, I think. Uh, in the Eastern time zone, at least. It is 8 for Central, which is the one. I got to start by telling you, you got a bunch of prudes running run your Discord here, although they're all awesome and I love them all, obviously. But they insisted I had to wear clothes. Uh, I drew the line of pants. Like, uh, it was no pants or I'm out. I walk, basically. So it's in my contract, just so you all know that. Uh, it's rookie season, so it's uh, it's uh, no pants season. I think, I'll hold one. I think they're all left. Yeah, that, that's a fair reaction. Um, so, yeah, first time in a live Discord chat. How you doing? I have a bunch of questions here already. From like uh, three or four of you, uh, uh, really appreciate that. Making look like a larger list, like more people want to talk to me. Um, no, really appreciate you inviting me in. Uh, it's nice to get to talk to someone in a new format. Although I do, I feel my full age trying to figure this place out. I have an account apparently, but um, yeah, I never really used it. You can see why I normally podcast with people. Like I'm directionless. So, like, I might just keep yammering on without anyone, to th which is pretty cool. I get to run this, run this thing now, right? This is my Discord now? Anyone? Nothing? Okay, all right. Um, so I'm just going to start at the top of the list of questions we got here under the PA Howdy Questions um, hashtag, I guess it is. Uh, how long have you been playing Dynasty uh, or playing fantasy football in general? Better question is fantasy football. Um... 2013, I think, is technically my first year because um, I made the playoffs uh, basically because in another hobby forum, they needed a 12th man and I don't do anything. So uh, they asked me and uh, I said, yeah. So I made the playoffs, like I said, in a ESPN redraft league. And I was like, this is easy. I nearly won that thing. Um, and 2014 was like, oh, this is easy. Just draft rookies. No, no one, No one takes them. And then they go off and they like win you the league. This is pretty cool. Kelvin Benjamin for life. And uh, that led me to immediately want to do it like more hardcore. So that I gradually started looking for, I heard whispers of what dynasty leagues were and I uh, went on from there. So yeah, uh, that's how long. How do you, <laughs> do you use howdy as a greeting or do you purposely avoid it because it would be cheesy? I purposely use it because it's cheesy. Uh, is the correct answer uh, there, Robinson season. Um, you're the first one to notice, actually, that that would be a thing. I, I got to apologize for my camera angle here. Like, normally it's pretty pretty much how I like it, but uh, we move my monitor around. I'm meant to get, um, uh, I'm, I'm improving my setup, so I was fooling things around. And for some reason at this angle, one, you can see, like, the corner of a wall and it's just ugly, but also for some reason it makes me do this, which looks makes me look my full nerd. Uh, so I'm trying to straighten my posture here. Apologize for that. Um, but yeah, howdy, howdy all day. And you're honestly, first person who's ever commented on it. So you know, big ups to you. Uh, you're pretty notably a data spreadsheet based analyst. I wouldn't even. I wouldn't use the word. I don't, I don't know what word I would use. Nerd, idiot, fantasy football player, something. But yeah, very much so. Um, sorry, Solo Claypool asks, uh, how do you incorporate film and other quantitative analysis, qualitative? Apologies, uh, into your process. I don't. I don't believe the games actually exist. I think they're generated on a computer system somewhere. I assume 
and I think the rest is just gaslighting by this film. No, um, I don't include it in my process. It's probably the best way of saying it. And I have heard a lot of people angry, you know, data, data nerds don't process film. Like, and it's not for that reason. It's because I don't believe I... It all looks impressive to me. Look, I played sport all my life, and so I think I can appreciate a good athlete or a good sporting move or a good ball foot game or whatever. Like, I, there's not a sport I can't sit and watch and thoroughly enjoy myself. And yeah, that includes golf. I don't, I don't care. Like, I'm not a big golf guy. I normally make fun of it because my ex-co-host, Jake Addison, is like a professional golfer. So I like uh, making fun of him as much as possible. But yeah, I, I can enjoy any sport to watch. But as far as my process, where I'm trying to help as much as I can and also improve my own results, like I don't think I got any edge there for you, uh, like uh, or me. Um, I thoroughly enjoy it. I watch as much sport as I can, so I watch football. Um, and yeah, but as far as incorporating it into my process goes, the best I can tell you is I listen because I don't know why anyone would ignore good information. If you can find people. And there's a bunch. Jake Anderson is actually one, even though he quit, like 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 a little coward. Um, uh, no, but he's still very good at it, and he still does some work. If you, you find people who have an edge there, then I listen, and I take that information in, and I incorporate it with my own opinions and what I know and don't know I, I know I don't know, um, and try and form a cohesive whole that way. But as far as my process goes, it's, it's not really based on film. I try and use other people's work, because they're actually good at it. I'm not. <laughs> um, I hope that kind of answers that question. Um, oh, God. Uh, not sure how to say that screen name. Uh, Ramondri? Ramondri? I'm going with the Ramondri. Uh, who is the best sleeper you hit on in Ricky Dress and what process led you to them? Um, you know, behind the scenes, uh, football, <laughs> baseball, whatever it is. Um, I did get to see at least the questions that were posted here yesterday already, and I saw this one. I was like, I don't know. This is my opportunity, right? I get to victory lap and, uh, you know, talk about how great I am and how I hit and every rookie ever. I don't track. I track everything, especially with fantasy football, as you, as the guy previously uh, mentioned, um, as much as I can. But I just don't. Pro I could have gone and looked it up, which is what a professional good person would have done. But it just feels so uh, sleazy. Um, and also cheating to prep for for something like this. I don't know why. Same with the podcast. I kind of like just let the mic go live and talk. Because that's the content I enjoy, honest conversations. And so I try to do that. No, that's better or worse. It's just what I enjoy. Um, but uh, a few names did come to mind. I was going to say Kenny Golladay because he's the guy who finally got Jeff Haverstack, um, one of the founding, I think, members of DLF, who I write for, repping the brand over here, um, actually finally got him to admit I was fine. It's the best compliment I ever got out of him, because I, I was kind of out on a limb. And then I could do the whole story about how JJ Zacharyson did a podcast about him like a month or two later, and even gave him a nickname. And now, like, I was, I'm really small now, and I was really, really small then. So, like, didn't apart from Jess fine comment, I never got it, but it, it was kind of an out and limb take and it worked out. Um, but I don't know it, it just didn't feel big enough. I never, I've actually actively said I never seen a top 12 season potential from Galladay. I just thought he was a good player who's going to be fantasy relevant. Top 24 is kind of how I categorized him. Not many Calvin Johnson by any means, although that's a fantastic nickname. 
Um, but uh, then I was thinking about who's more relevant now. And honestly, again, did it to me. I never thought I'd see Stefan Diggs reach the height he did this year. But he's another later, slightly outside the third round draft pick who had great age-adjusted production that I was kind of all in on the year he came out. Adam Thielen fits that too. I mean, I'm not, I wasn't the only and by no means first on any of them. I, I'm assuming they at least were first on themselves, if nothing else. Um, and I'm not a Devi college player, so I, I don't really try to be the uh, I, that guy's mine. Um, but I got a bunch that I feel real proud of. Um, I was looking through stats for running backs because I'm not, I don't memorize them quite as well as I do with wide receivers or remember them quite as well. Um, and actually something occurred to me that I was literally um, Aaron Jones above uh, above Williams from like day one before even the combine started. I was like, no, it's Aaron Jones. It's very clearly Aaron Jones. And, and Jamal Williams surprised the hell out of me, uh, although he was really productive at a much lower conference. Like he was a touchdown megastar where he came from. But like I, I was right all day from uh, Aaron Jones and it took forever, pretty much this year before people finally admitted Aaron Jones is good. It's a team usage that's been weird. And Jamal Williams has been pretty good when used as well. They're both above average running backs, I think. So I, I think maybe Aaron Jones, but... I don't I don't have great victory laps for you here, but I think those are the guys that were lower drafted in situations where people thought others were going to be better that I literally never wavered on at all. So I guess that's the best list I got for you. Honestly, the real answer is where I'm such a fan of undrafted free agents. It's Kendrick Bourne and Zach Pascal. Believe it or not, that's what hits look like to me these days because I've just gone all the way to the left of finding fantasy-relevant guys and just finding guys that are above average that everyone consistently underrates. Cole Beasley's, give me my Zach Pascal's, give me my Kendrick Bourne 14% market share, my Tanner Gentry four-game run. Like, those are the ones I'm actually happy with at this point in my life, but that's not, for our thing, that's not very useful. <laughs> and another question, but more appreciation. Same fella, Ronda Moore Alba. Uh, but appreciating a database is what kickstarted me into getting into analytical models for RBs and wide receivers. So thank you. Really, honestly, really appreciate that, man. That's honestly what started it. I was trying to do it for myself. And then I got so much help from so many people. Like a lot of people do a lot of free work just to get to a place where I can grind my, my free hours away to do it. And literally it's because I want to play too. And I was tired of um listening to such great minds who are so helpful and so giving of their time but they can't do that do that work for you so i hear a good stat like breakout age from sean siegel the first one who wrote about it and i was like i wonder what that looks like back in another player or in the past and you it's really hard to get a hold well it's fairly easy to get a hold of it but then to put it all together so you can see the play, like a database or what i call a database it was really sporadic and really awkward. So I started collecting it and I was like, you know, this might be something I can help with because this is tedious as hell and at least I can do the tedium. So the fact that you're actually, even if you don't get into the models, just occasionally you want to look something up and not have to go behind four paywalls and then it's weirdly in three different places. Like I'm sure a website's going to take over this job. I think DLF are working on it pretty hard right now that I will be senseless, but I'll still be doing it for myself. So the fact that I've helped anyone else just be interested in it or be able to like that's gold man that's literally that's the payoff right there so i appreciate it and taylor gang electric nick s electro nick that's just that's so much better of a screen name than i have ever come up with thank you thank you nick uh could you talk about your process to find late round wide receivers that hit 
Um, also, who's a late rounder that you just can't quit? Um, this one, I need a little more. I can get and put context around it. And if you're here and I'm not using the right context, help. Uh, and I'll try and answer it again. I'm assuming you're talking about rookies this time of year. Um, and processes evolved. Obviously, it should as you you know find things that work and don't and get better data or film for that matter. Uh, and you work to improve. Um, essentially, I'm looking for players that were, were incredibly productive based on their age, which is what you know, the nerds would call age-adjusted production, um, but are fairly underrated um, in terms of draft capital. So again, Stefan Diggs, T.Y. Hilton, those drafted outside the third round, um, and also low down in uh, rookie ADP, because, you know, like Kenny Golladay rose, but you, can't, you don't get the J.J. Zagarisen bump as well as everyone else um, without rising in ADP, but he know, he didn't hit, you know, C.D. Lamb level of draft capital. And so that's the core of my process. I'm looking for players that prove they could perform well in college when they had the least amount of physical advantage and experience and training. I think that's where the edge, part of where the edge comes from. If, if you can walk onto your team and, and be a significant part of that offense, like day one, when you're a skinny 18-year-old kid who's only ever played at high school level before, like that's that's, I think, where the success of breakout age in terms of hit rate buckets or age-adjusted production in terms of models actually comes from. And I think another one that I'm starting to explore a lot at the moment is a conference adjustments, but I think they might be mutually exclusive. Matt Spencer, great follow on Twitter, and a real nerd who actually understands coding and stuff and doesn't just sweat it out. In order to get it done, he can actually write the stuff. Um uh, he's big into conference adjustments based on a few conversations I've had with him in, in, in DM, um, and he's finding it really useful. I've never been able to find a way to make it useful, and I think it might be because everything I do is so geared towards age. And once you define it into conferences, then you divide or you adjust by age. You're looking, you're just shrinking the sample to a much smaller group and not to nerd out on you too much, but the fewer examples you have of something, the le the more variance is going to be in your signal because it's like trying to bet on, you know, the direction a train is heading if you know two points or if you know 10 along the track path that it's taken. You can just draw a better line of where it's going. That's kind of the way I think of it. So, um, but right now, yeah, my especially at wide receiver, I look at players that are produced and I typically fade conference. That's why I wasn't scared of Golladay and, and some others because I think they can only produce the situation they're in. And it's not that there isn't conference to make. I think there very clearly is. And the fairest job, the first impression I want to get is in this situation the only one they had to play in How'd they do? Well, they kicked ass. Okay, I like them. That's the first tick mark. And um, did they do it when they were 23 and bigger than most people on the field? No? Okay, I like them even more. Um, and that's how I start building out a rookie profile. Um, or my opinion on a rookie profile is probably the better way of saying it. And um, that's not... I don't think I said that as cleanly as I could have, but hopefully I gave you some idea of where I look for rookies um, that might be values or later round values. Outside of that, and especially right now, um, uh, if we're talking NFL producers uh, specifically, late round values come from guys that have done it before, and I'm not joking. Tyler Boyd, Keenan Allen, like the, these players 
are just not shiny and new. And while the market is very smart in some ways, it's also very dumb in some ways. And that's one of the edges that still kind of exists. Like both of those players, I think right now are bottom 24 or even maybe outside the top 24 on DLF ADP right now. And when you look at the players above them, you're like, okay, I get it. Yeah, I want CD Lamb. I want T Higgins. I want, I want all these guys. But these, like, I don't think Keenan Allen and Tyler Boyd are just like, they're not, not good anymore. Although I said that about Odo Beckham and he got injured again. So who knows? Um, or Jarvis Landry, same team for that matter. All those guys start dropping in ADP and it's led to what I think is the lesson I say most often about dynasty these days. It's, I really wish I, I do it now and I still do it. Um, but I'm trying to say it a lot. So I remember Drafting dynasty isn't is about winning for a start. The first year is the easiest year to win in a dynasty league. It only gets harder after that because you can't start fresh, um, even with rebuilding techniques or whatever. So it's building a squad that can dominate year to year, not building a squad and um, that can dominate without turnover year to year. You you it's it's about turning over your roster so that you're dominant every year. So value plays a part, which is why we want young players. You want young players because they're going to be there longer. They're going to have more value for a longer period of time. But value doesn't get you points. And I say that in a year where DK Metcalf literally just stomped on a lot of the league, but so did 28-year-old Tyler Lockett in, in the same breath, you know? And if you can get Tyler Lockett later, and I know he faded off towards the second half of the season, but it, what you get for that is more running backs and you take more shots like David Montgomery or Derek Henry, who all fell outside the top five in ADP, you have more opportunity to get those guys. So it's not that I don't want youth. It's that I'm trying to build a roster that can dominate and that I can turn over effectively because I have enough value to do that. Not I need to build a squad that is going to, without turnover, dominate year after year after year. And honestly, I thought about it the exact opposite way when I started. So I, 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 hope, I don't know if I answered that question either, but that's where I am. Um, Taylor Gang, hey, uh, Electric Nick again. Uh, could you talk about your process of finding late round wide receiver? I think I answered that one. It's not ticked. Oh, uh, who's a late round wide receiver you can't hit? The second part of the question. Maybe I didn't answer that. Um, I don't know who's late Ram right now. Like, I haven't. Uh, I want to delve into NFL stats. It's what we should be doing right now, but instead, everyone wants the update to the rookie stuff. Um, I, 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 uh, Keenan Allen and Tyler Boyd still aren't late round players, but I still keep rolling the dice on a few. Uh, I, I, I'm sorry, I'm gonna have to pull up something. I got all this data sitting here. Here you go. Here's a here's a draft tracker I've been working on. Uh, so wide receivers, what's late round? You you can't talk. Why am I asking? Um, all right. Uh, uh, MVS, I made that bet this year, but I don't know about that. He's in the 14th round. The 15th round, you've still got Nikhil Harry. He'd very much make the list. In the 15th round, I'm still on Team Harry. You know, we don't hate players. We hate ADPs per Matt Kelly. And round 15, yeah, I'll take a shot uh, on Mr. Nikhil Harry. Um, so I still can't quit him. I'm never going to quit on uh, Zach Pascal, as I just mentioned. I love my undrafted free agents, but it, it's it's not for our thing. I tell you what, a player I was recently reminded of, and I have to go check out if he, you know, emigrated or something, is Calvin Harmon. He's being drafted in the 22nd round, according to ADP, and I'm still ride or die with him. 
Um, uh, Jacoby Myers. These are all, you know, round 14 players or later. Andy Isabella. I can't see. I've become so much. I've stopped being right or die um, so much because a lot of the players I like come so cheaply. You really don't have to be. So I think Nikhil Harry is the only one on here that you kind of have to be right or die on because despite being ranked in the 15th round, I don't think you're going to get in that value in trade. So he's probably the only one that uh, still fits that description. I hope, I hope that's good enough. Uh, who is your process's biggest miss? Better question. Um, well, not better question, but very, very good question. Appreciate it. Um, did that prompt you to change your process? Always, all I do is focus on the things that didn't work out honestly um so yes uh, it always changes it i can't say it exactly in what ways but biggest miss nikki harry is looking like one he's one of the better pro prospect profiles i've seen as a rookie um and that did not work out um and also rashad penny at the running back position like i, I can literally prove to you that it's a single digit percentage chance that he doesn't at least have a top 24 season by now and it happened so, yeah, that one's bad. That That's probably the biggest miss because I had to draft him in the first round um, uh, of rookie drafts where where, I, where where my pick fell into that region. So, yeah, that's probably me, my biggest one. How did that specifically change my process? Um, I just hate run. I just hate all running backs now, basically. Um, but not really. I can't say that one changed it directly. Because the, the knock on him came from Jake, and he was right to have concern, but I still haven't seen enough of him in the NFL to really know if it's true. Um, and he said he was just being helped out by his offensive line too much. So listen to the film grinders a little bit more, but maybe not. because I listened very attentively, and I looked through that, and I just couldn't find a reason to use that to adjust my 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 like of Rashad Penny, who was very productive. And again, Jake was saying he was having an easier time of it, and that's why his production was looking so high. But um, drafting the first round, and my my end consensus was the Seahawks spent a first-round pick on him, and they're watching the tape too. And there's a lot of process going in behind that. So Jake's probably right, but they intend to use him, and it's about team usage. Um, so, uh, yeah, never trust Pete Carroll. That's probably how that one specifically affected my process. Uh, no, not really, but... Uh, what is something that you think the average dinosaur owner spends way too much time doing? You, uh, Solo Claypool didn't say way like that, but I, that that's all me, just so no one, you know, claps him with that. That's all me. Um, all right. Rookie evaluation, probably. It's something John McNamara recently said uh, or posted on Twitter. Sorry, saying and Twitter is the same thing as me. Um, and he was saying we spend way too much time worrying about rookie evaluation instead of looking at uh, draft tactics and draft trends. And that's probably true. And it's probably also because draft trends and draft tactics are kind of in a um, quagmire right now. They're in a limbo. I don't think a lot of people know where to look for new ideas. I think one actually came from a guy who's mostly a stock trader, and he said something that we do in stocks. I forget his name right this second, but uh, again, this is something he posted on Twitter, and I shared it and shared the crap out of it, and um, which was instead of looking for what goes right, look for what goes wrong most often, and if there's a pattern to that or something to that effect. 
And I, I think there's something to that. And so I started looking at where we miss in terms of dynasty ranks or dynasty ADP the most often. And there's a commonality to that. For example, and um, most running backs who finish inside the top 12, there are more running backs who finish inside the top 12 that are drafted outside the top 36 than wide receiver. But if you look on a consistency basis, we actually hit relatively similar numbers in the top five and top 12 in terms of percentage hit rates of our ADP but more jumping in from further outside the ranks. So that tells us something. Um, and also, you just have a higher threshold of where running back is a big difference maker. But having said that, you also desperately need that big difference maker to win every year. So running back is still quintessential. So I, I think that's an area that I'm starting to look in more. But we spend so much time looking at rookies. So like immediately after the last game of week 16 happened, I was being asked about my update for the NFL prospect database. And look, it takes a lot of work. I really enjoy it and I want to put it out and, and peruse it like all of you, but uh, or all of them or, you know, all those nerds, uh, whoever, whoever may be perusing it, not assuming that many people look at it. Um, but uh, we've got months and then the combine happens and it all has to be updated and that process is a lot quicker and then the draft happens and it all happens to be updated but in between both of those events there's at least a lag of a couple of weeks where we're bored with what we now know so rushing out to prospect evaluation right now i i'm I, i'm like you guys yeah you know I'm, I'm fascinated by this stuff i want to know what to think about all these rookies but the quicker you make up your opinion one the earlier it is locked in the harder it is to change um, and and we should be more adaptable, mostly, especially uh, when we learn more information from other people and the draft and the combine. And like, there's no need to rush that hard. I get the impulse, and I do it too. But we probably spend way too long worrying about it, especially when you consider how few rookies actually make a significant difference to the next season. Um, e even in Dynasty, where again, the process should be not to have a roster you don't have to turn over, but have a roster you can turn over effectively in order to dominate um, for successive years. Um, it, it probably, uh, especially how unpredictive most of this stuff is, we probably spend a little much too much time doing it. Having said that, we're never going to stop because that that's what we like. That's what we're doing it, to be honest. So, um, yeah, we probably spend a little much too much time doing it, but there you go. And what is something you think the average dinosaur owner doesn't spend enough time doing? Prospect evaluation. Same answer. No, um, looking at draft tactics, looking at draft trends um, over time. And by that, I'm specifically talking about draft trends. Again, trying to find out where what we get wrong the most often and if there's commonality to it. Because it's not all just, you know, running backs jump inside the top 12. Is that true when we have a bunch of young running backs breaking out, for example? I don't know. I haven't had a chance to look yet. Is it true that wide receivers who are aging are no longer good values moving forward if a bunch of new rookies like in 2020 suddenly break out? We can actually look at back at 2014, back at 2012, and see if there's an effect on the way veteran wide receivers keep producing. Instead, we really just care about, you know, the Travis Etney and Harris's uh, uh, receiving percentage at this point, you know, and and the time burns out quick because even when we're anyway, so we should spend more time doing that. Sorry, I was going to go. I'm, I'm I'm trying not to burn up your whole evening. Uh, what's your opinion on early production college and its lack? And is it is a lack of it a concern? Think, I think I probably take that one off earlier, Electronic. Um, but to be really clear. It's not whether you have a lack of production early. If you don't play at age 18 or 19, 
they're not a worse player for that. We just don't know. And they're very youthful years for understanding how productive they are with a, a lack of physical development, at least. But AJ Green didn't play until he was 20, 21 years old. Didn't matter. Just doesn't matter. Calvin Ridley couldn't join the uh, college system because of the way his college, uh, his high school system worked or the way the dates were or something until he was 20 years old. So I really like to look at it and adjusting it for when they played is the best we've got. Um, I think where it gets concerning is where they don't play enough that we can get a decent idea of what they are at whatever play, age they play at. Um, so someone like Brandon Ayuk, for example, he had one great season, one terrible season. It would be really nice to have a third season to see where the average was, you know? Um, I think that could have helped us out. As it was, I was kind of kind of in a limbo on him and not knowing where to go and leaning a lot on draft capital. And I don't like the San Francisco 49ers for fantasy. They do, they do weird things in terms of fantasy context. And it doesn't always work out for us when we, we like a good player that goes there. So I was a little hesitant on him, and this year he's had a really solid rookie season, for example. So uh, the lack that I would be most concerned about is when we have a lack of information about a player. But again, that's where the, you know multiple streams of information come together. I, I could go ask uh, Ray G um, from DLF or the Devi Dynasty podcast. He now works for um, – he's not, he's not just with DLF anymore. He's uh, – uh, fantasy – not fantasy points. I forget the name of it, but they just started up um, and they got Ray GQ to sign up with him. Um, and he does a Devi Dynasty podcast. He's got a Patreon. He's awesome to listen to. He does a lot of film work and does co a lot of college. So Ray's opinion on him helps out a lot to what to think of Brandon Ayuk, you know. But that's where I think a lack of any kind of production matters. Um, now, specifically to your question, if you are underperforming your age expectations, I do think that's a concern. Um, I actually think it gets more concerning the older you get in a weird inverse age lovers way. Because if you're 23, you're the senior on your team and you're still not, you know, sucking up. I forget what the expectation is at that age. Depends on conference. You could adjust it by conference. Um, but if you can't co-op like a, a breakout age level dominator, if you can't get to 30% and you're the senior on the team and you've played all years and you're still not, like a true dominant wide receiver, like that's a concern. If at the same time, if you're 18, 19, and you don't do much of anything, it's not so much a concern as you would expect players with above average potential, which you really need to be good in the NFL to show up to certain reasonable thresholds. So it can be concerning. So even though I can find it very important, the concern for me mostly would be if your everything else looks good, your size is right, you're athletic, you look good on film, but you can't dominate the offense. That's where it gets a concern. There are a few exceptions to that. Both of them, uh, uh, Michael Thomas and Terry McLaurin, and they're both pretty good exceptions, though, to be clear. Um, so, yeah. I hope that answers that. As a trend, do you find yourself more likely to react slowly to news performances, i.e. stick with your prior evaluation or react quickly, uh, more to take advantage of the shift? I know you asked this question in the last AMA because I asked for an example of it so I knew what I was getting into a little bit. Um, I noticed he wore pants. Just saying. Coward. Uh, no, really, that was a great interview. I, I thought he did a great job with this question as well. I think we should be prone to react more quickly, but I react based on my evaluations. Now, I get a lot of wrong, right? I get a lot wrong, and I just accept that. I do the best I can with my evaluations and my opinions of players 
but I try and adapt my evaluations as I get new information for sure. But um, I sample size, man. I, I need to see more evidence of something before I really let it change my opinion. So I tend to stick to my prior evaluations, but I do try and react as quickly as I can because that's how you can also gain an edge. But I've more often been helped out by staying the course. If my evaluation is rooted in a solid process and, you know, good hit rate and all that stuff, more often than not, uh, it works out for me. So DJ Chalk, I just, I didn't see it in his rookie profile. It was fine, but I did not see uh, a lot of a lot of high hope on a bad team or the other parts of the process. Um, and he did really well. He had a great season. Like, for the player himself, really impressed. Um, amazing of him. But for our little thing, I still wasn't convinced it would continue. Um, and it didn't. So not reacting too quickly to something I didn't expect helped me out. Whereas on the other hand, Corey Davis had a great college profile. I thought he did pretty well. I think the production he's had early has been slightly underrated. He was a top 25 wide receiver and PPR scoring in his second year. And I thought AJ Brown being good actually helped the offense. And we saw that Tannehill, maybe perhaps, I don't know how the quarterback relationship works exactly, kind of helped the offense. And so when I saw... Uh, Corey Davis kind of doing better than we expected early in the season. I was kind of ready and half hoping for it. And so I was very quick to jump on that bandwagon. He's still going to fall outside the top 24, by the way, but he definitely had a better season than we drafted him as. So in that way, holding on to my prior convictions and understandings and beliefs in that player helped out. So it's kind of situation dependent. Uh, you're trying to react as quickly as possible. But I think if you've got a solid process uh, and you're not just winging it or following just what consensus says, if it's your opinion, honestly, that's the fun of this thing. You want to stand on a hill and say, Curry Davis season, baby. So it, it's okay to get it wrong if you're doing everything you can. It's, it's okay to get it wrong anyway. But if you're doing everything you can to have a reasonable evaluation, then you just kind of have to throw your shoulder into it. You know, I'm going to trust it. And if I get it wrong, I get it wrong. But I got to stand on my heel. And, you know, I, I, John Bosch disagrees with me. But I think being owned is just as fun as winning in some ways. Because I'm not playing for big stakes. I'm playing with my friends. I'm playing with people I just met. I'm trying to engage with sport in another way. Because, obviously, I'm not going to be playing much professional sports or sports at this point in my age. So I want to be more engaged with sport in general. So I, I, I'm okay with it going wrong. I'm going to do the best I can with my evaluation and trust it where possible. However, I will let an evaluation change. Brandon Ayuk, uh, another good example I can do a callback from. I wasn't sure. He's had an amazing rookie season. My evaluation goes from limbo to positive, right? Or slightly more positive because he's done another thing that was good. So I, I try to update evaluations, but I do like to throw my shoulder into them, which is why, you know, Terry McCall owned my soul this year. But it, it, just as fun, man. And I, I, you've got to be okay enjoying it for the player when you think they're going to be bad and, they're gonna, and they actually turn out to be good. Like, it's also a modifying factor of that is that's how awesome is that for Terry McClellan, by the way? You know, you can just enjoy his success. <laughs> even if you don't enjoy being, you know, wrong. So that's the way I try and manage it. Um, uh, hopefully, again, that answers it. This has been edited. Uh, Taylor Gang, like, at your mod, man. He's he's edited your thing here. I don't like it. Uh, moving, back, moving to the back of the line. Okay. Um, olive oil. Sam. Who, I don't know what the... 
I don't know what it means when it's in parentheses, by the way. If anyone wants to explain that one to me. Uh, the uh, When they're in brackets, that's the tag. And then the name after the tag is like their name. Okay. Uh, in that case, I apologize for calling you all your tags. Um, no, <laughs> Sam, who are a couple of your biggest sells, biggest buys heading into 2021? Again, I'm not up to date. I, I haven't ground out my draft uh, for 2021 ideas yet. And to be fair, that's okay. Right now, we shouldn't necessarily be buying for next season. You shouldn't worry if you don't have a running back two or wide receiver three. You're just trying to profit the best you can and get in a position to have the players that you think are really, really good, right? Um, but I will say I was doing, I was building this draft track, for example. One of the things I noticed was like, I don't know quite what to make of um, Miles Sanders and Clyde Edwards-Alaire moving forward, but they finished back-to-back in terms of position rank. They had really solid, you know, like volume, expected points per game is one way of measuring that. Um, and I think there might be like a fatigue and they're still both pretty young, but they most and they kind of fit my mold of running backs as well. Not that I have a type, but I have a type, which is smaller, pass catching, but can run. I, I will say I've been on Team Giovanni Bernard for a long time now, and uh, so just throwing that out there, and over over Jeremy Hill, even in that good old conundrum. So I do have definitely have a type, but um, I kind of interested in them. They're being drafted in an interesting range as well. Um, so I'm kind of, yeah, I would say they might be big buy sells for me, depending on where they go. Outside of that, I want running backs on the come up. And as I mentioned earlier, wide receivers on the fall, uh, on the come down, I guess. Um, so yeah, all rookie running backs. Uh, I said on the podcast, I just want the cheapest one, which I guess right now, now be, oh God, it's going to be, uh, uh, it's probably going to be, I tell you what, I'll make a prediction here. Um, it's probably going to be the best running back from this class, isn't it? It's probably going to be James Robinson. He's probably the cheapest rookie running back from this class in terms of ADP. I don't think you're going to get him as the cheapest running back in this class by trade at all, but that's what ADP is probably going to say. But I think um, in trade, it's, it's going to be Robinson or it's going to be Dobbins. Um, but So I'm interested in both of those guys. One, because he's already been really good, and one, because I think there's still a lot more potential there. But Cam Akers, Swift to some extent, and I, I'm a little lower on him for reasons I might explain later, I don't know. Um, but obviously John Taylor, and obviously um, the other name that just jumped out of my head. God, I'm getting tired now. Um, but yeah, all, all them rookie running backs. Outside of Antonio Gibson, who I... I think we might see a ceiling value uh, to in this offseason. I don't think his ADP will go higher, but he's he's already different than most. So uh, why base it, Why judge him compared to past running backs is a fair... If you like Antonio Gibson, I'm not going to convince you to sell him. Put it that way. But I'm not sure I'm as high on him. And, and again, Swift I have con- some concerns with, but it might just be a nasty Detroit stink for me. Running, They've let a few running backs down in the past. Um, but yeah, r- rookie running backs uh, uh, are, are the ones I'm mostly targeting. Uh, yeah. Any passions, hobbies outside of fantasy football? Yeah, way too many. Most of them have died. Died on the vine, though. Although I still, you know, have it around and occasionally partake um i i was weirdly i was big into knives that sounds more creepy than it is i really like the history uh, and also the manufacturer of knives i got heavy into woodwork for a while and the, the process that goes into and um, putting on a handle and form like you can make some really pretty wood 
um, and effects. And I, I, I got very into that and actually picked it up as kind of a hobby uh, uh, of woodworking in, in general. And that led me to handling some knives with folders and fixed blades. And I did that for a long time. Unfortunately, it's a much more expensive hobby than like playing in fantasy football leagues with your friends. And, and I found it hard to keep up with at a certain point, especially as fantasy football just continued to soak up so much of my life. That's actually the hobby forum I started in fantasy football on. They had an extra man and uh, needed an extra man. And so that's one of my big hobbies. I also like running. I've done that since uh, I started late, but I think I've kept it going longer than most. So it's like 13, 14 when I took up competitive running, um, both track and cross country. And I still uh, absolutely adore running. Like it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's my biggest high outside of, you know, winning a fantasy football championship, obviously. Um, also, long walks on the beach. Uh, I appreciate those and would be happy to share one with you, obviously. Um, <laughs> how do you manage what content you cover on the podcast? Uh, I don't. Like I said, as I start, I, I spend most of the week trying to think of a subject or a single thing. So I really like to use, like, the single player or single concept or problem. Sometimes it's natural, like, um, and I see there's a question here later about vacated targets. Like, there's something I just keep, just doesn't fit with my understanding of football. I think it's a myth. And so I delve into it and I do a big research project. And obviously, that's going to be the subject. But mostly, I spend most of the week trying to think of, you know, uh, of cramming some entertaining and interesting information under a single concept. So uh, two weeks ago, it was age, age and prospects, because I can do that off the top of my head at this point, basically. And, uh, and this week, it was talking about conference, how conference might affect it, but how it might be limited uh, or mutually exclusive to adjusting by age. Um, and next week, I don't know. It's honestly much more of a, I tried to think of what I might talk about, a subject I try and cover um, and then the mic goes live and we get what we get um or i'll invite if someone's foolish enough to accept one of my invites like a lot of my friends are very long suffering and they will occasionally submit to an interview and there it's kind of whatever they want to talk about wherever we start arguing about but i guess my content isn't managed on the podcast would be the best answer um bryce hey how you doing buddy uh please help these wonderful people understand why drafting saquon barkley in the top half of the first round of a dynasty startup is i guess hashtag bad process i, I like your contrary point of view here bryce unfortunately like barkley's adp seems to have fallen due to nothing that he's done so i don't but he's still a top five running back. So if you're in the top five, your ADP really hasn't fallen. And in fact, uh, I've got the draft tracker up right now, and it looks like he's in the top five overall. So yeah, he, he's top half of the first round. I don't know it's such bad process. And if memory serves, and I can't see it on here, he's like 23 this year, so 24 next year. He's in the prime of a running back season. He's had two top 12 performances which already puts them on a pretty select list i have a doubt about the talent and as james robinson just saw adjusting for team imaginings can be tricky um so i'm kind of on their side here bryce but for you i'll say that drafting uh, an injured running back or paying for an injured running back in the offseason this is an old matt kelly line is always a bad idea uh, how injured are they going to be how well the recovery is going to go how the team situation is going to change i don't think saquon barkley is ever going to get trey mason but maybe maybe i guess that's the argument of why it will be a bad process personally i'm kind of 
kind of kind of okay with it. So sorry, but for you, Bryce, I'll say it's because you'd never buy an engine running back in the off season. There you go. That's probably my best. Uh, not my opinion answer to that. But I really do enjoy the contrary opinion because most people would feel the opposite. I think, and I, I, I strongly respect the contrarians because we're awesome. <laughs> uh, where are we, Paul? Um, is it solar pool then? If clay is the thing, anyway. Uh, what's your favorite paid subscription for fantasy football? Good question. I couldn't. <laughs> uh, I didn't have any for the longest time. Um. I'm not plugging this because most of the shit I put on there is free. I don't know if I can swear. Sorry, I just swore. Um, but uh, because I started a Patreon, basically just to host a lot of the links without having to continually pump them on Twitter, I can just have them there and link to that post. And um, I started a Patreon, and then people started to donate, and they have got me behind a few paywalls that I now use. Um, and DLF actually got me behind a few just writing for them. They have some deals like I can get behind 4 for 4. Not their premium stuff, but I can get into their apps. And those are awesome. To be honest, 4 for 4, big recommendation. The articles are amazing. I read them every year, um, as well as DLF, obviously. Um, but, uh, okay, I'll start from the top. Team DLF, this is the best subscription, obviously. Dynasty League Football, get it done. No, but seriously, it's a really good team. Addison Hayes recently run for ff statistics and he has built like some everything that i do in spreadsheets he's finding a way to put on the app uh, on dls website and it's an app not a spreadsheet that even though i'm trying to do my best with this apps are a little sleeker and you can't mess them up you select what you want and they're a little more intuitive sometimes i think i do an okay job with spreadsheets but um and he's they're doing an amazing job starting to integrate data into what they provide behind that paywall now and obviously the forum like this discord you'll probably appreciate just talking to fun people about dynasty in a good environment and dls form is i really highly rank but specifically talking about data because those apps aren't downloadable from addison i really enjoy um one ads.com because it's free and there is still a version of it up by the way so you can still download from ads.com in some way and um, but as far as paid subscription it's rotoviz because i like we've mentioned i'm a big data guy and their roto screener app and now their weekly app you can just grab a whole bunch of data and do what you like with it um, and it's one of the cleanest easiest interactions i've had when trying to do that with not one of the highest paywalls to actually do it so my patrons have got me behind that paywall it's now how i'm fueling most of my sheets and not the only source but it's one of them um so i'd probably say rotaviz if you're really just looking for widespread data um, and their articles are on fire as well they, they've got great people working over there and so that probably be my favorite paid subscription I have outside of DLF at least. Uh, or player profile, because that's where you get my projections. And I think they're pretty on fire too. And not to mention you can get some metrics on player profiler, which I don't really find other places because they, they have a different thought process being headed by Matthew Kelly, like uh, um like the clutch gene is integrated in, in into one of their metrics, but also in one of the first places I found data on like evaded and missed tackles which is actually pretty interesting data. I still don't think we have the full idea of how it can integrate into a lot of our models, but it's also where I learn about Dominator and where you can get Dominator if you don't want to calculate it yourself and uh, some other things too. So all of those are great places. I would say Rotoviz is the top of the list for if you just want data because the screener app and that weekly app are just just, just fire. Um, but my 
favorite personal is uh, DLF because I love that one. Um, I don't get to get on it a lot uh, as I do, but I used to read on it a lot. And uh, there are some people writing articles over there that I, I just I, I really like the way they think and where their process is. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's my personal favorite. Uh, what is your favorite paid subscription? I just read that one. Uh, Travis Etney and Najee Harris, who you got? Hey, buddy. Uh, the second question after that, uh, the first one's from Leroy, the second one's from Umaro, uh, and it, <laughs> it just says, why is it Etney? So, yeah, let's just handle those together. I don't know. Uh, and I, I think those two and Chubba Hubbard are pretty much going to just be argued, nitpicky arguments all last season, and we'll let the combine and the draft sort it out. Honestly, you probably know as much as you uh, as we're going to know. My pre-draft running back um, model actually takes into account production, and it also takes into account the combine. It's one of the few areas I actually still use size and weight adjusted speed score, and so I actually don't have one. What I would say is the best single number I found for running backs is uh, strangely PPR points or uh, specifically points per game. If you so. Answer the question for you here, but I will tell you who what I know of those players so far, and it's not much to be perfectly honest. Um, but uh, I believe Harris leads in points per game, he's like first in the class in his best season. He has a high in their best seasons, he has the highest points per game. If you want a conference, suggest that it might come down. Um, Etna is about fourth or fifth if memory serves, but it's within the same range. You know, they were both producing elite numbers for their team in their best season. And Etna obviously has a larger target share. He's a larger receiving role. Um, I think Etna is rushing, or the percentage of his yards that come from the rushing game is around 85.9 if memory serves. And I swear to God, I'm not looking that up. I've just been doing this work a lot lately, and um, which is about average for a running back who has at least one top 25 season and Etnays is a little lower than that so which is actually a good thing because he's he's getting a larger receiving role which provides much more of a floor in fantasy and gives us an idea of what type of roles they might carry with them into the pros so uh, I like both of them right now I probably do have Harris a little higher just because of that points per game but I have a preference for uh, running backs with a larger receiving role and so I lean Etnay um, but the the best single number I can come up with is points per game, and Harris actually leads in it. So again, this is an area I want to dig into the numbers a little harder and also hear more opinions. Running back, I, I think we have to take a lot more. We should, we should take all that we can all the time from all the information we can all the time. But I do, like, that's my first stop with film. It's like, what do these running backs look like? And I guess that might be the effect of Rashad Penny, like that being my first stop when I start to ask people to evaluate film, what do these running backs look like while they're producing these numbers? And um, might 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 be the effect of Rashad Penny, who knows? Um oh, Solar Pool again. What research questions are you thinking about going into the 2021 Dynasty offseason? Uh, I've named a few, I think, but I want to start looking more at where we get things wrong and if there's commonality to that. Um, I do want to look at uh, wide receivers and running backs and how well the the proven, quote-unquote proven players do when new players show up. I seem to remember 2015 while the draft class was kind of crappy and the 2014 class was still pretty good in that season, but I don't remember a significant drop-off from the players who were previously good. But is that true if we look past uh, at a larger sample than just one year in my vague memory? Uh, that's one thing I do want to look at. 
Also, when I'm creating this draft tracker, I want to find a good way of kind of looking um, for draft tactics and draft strategies without, you know, having to be like an Evan Silver and having memorized every depth chart to ever exist or Adam Harmstead and know every single intricate detail of every stat that ever existed. Just something for us grinders, you know? Um, and so I'm starting to look at the difference between expected points and PPR points and how often that leads to an edge in terms of ADP. That's one of the questions I have as well. Um, for rookies specifically, I want to start digging more into conference and what stats we can adjust by it and whether it can be combined with age in any significant way or if they are, in fact, mutually exclusive. And those, the, the, those are the ones on top of my list, I think. Um, how do you define what a hit is with regards to rookies? It's a good question because numbers process requires defining things, weirdly. Like you have to define 18, but at what point in the year? And does that really matter? So defining things is actually important. So I typically, for wide receivers, for rookie evaluations, I actually compare their production to every wide receiver who's had one top 36 or 150 point PPR season because it's a weird average. It's actually fairly consistent and um, with the higher level. And so I like to look to lower level just so i'm not missing anyone i want to do a fair comparison um but typically when i look at stats or i test points per game i'm looking for players that compare to those who have had at least one top 24 ppr season and the reason i do it um top 24 not a certain point threshold like i do those graphs that i produce sometimes is simply because you know top 24 this year is a different point threshold to top 24 last year and by keeping it in ppr rank you you kind of get in a more even look um players were good for us and um, so that's wide receiver um sometimes i up the threshold to two top 24 seasons which is pretty much an elite level list by the way um with running backs it's position specific i want at least top 12 season and i want to find players that compare to those and therefore i'm going to use that as my definition of hit and again rashad penny having a top 24 season single digit percentage chance he'd ever do it still didn't do it and top 24 isn't even what i'm looking for damn it um, with Wibris, with tight ends, honestly, a hit is top five. I'm sorry, it is. There are lots of players who have done very, very well for us who never hit top five, but they're kind of not hits. Unless you're Gronkowski, Graham, Kelsey, Waller, and um, looks like Mark Andrews is going to maybe be one of those players. Like The others are good. I just, they're not different. You're kind of looking for the low-level difference maker, and at tight end, it's, re it's really top five. Top four. From, from the majority of the last 20 years, it's been top two. We're actually treated to uh, a larger range in the last five, six years or so. Um, but yeah, so with tight ends, it gets a lot more strict there. With quarterback, I go back to top 12. Um, top 24 will do, but I don't think it's who we're hunting. Um, again, like the tight end position, the difference makers really exist in the top five. But I get a little more leeway because... There's such an even distribution between, you know, QB1 and QB12 that limiting it to the top five almost doesn't do too much. So I stay with top 12 with uh, with quarterbacks as well. Um, Burgundy Awake, how you doing? When do you prefer rookies rookie dress to be before the draft, after rookie camp, uh, training camp, or just before the season? Um two answers as always i prefer them to be as early as possible because i believe i have an air. the truth is especially these days hardly anyone has an air. anyone else and so uh honestly the best time for rookie dress is as late as possible you need as much information as possible before you draft that's when you're gonna have your best results 
personally earlier is good because i think i do think i could we as people who are just you know in a discord in the off season talking about fantasy football probably find an edge um, but I also like to be a bit later. Like I said, you've got the combine, you've got the draft, and then this long-ass wait until the season, even after the draft. So I don't mind interspersing the events a little bit. And if you push the rookie draft further towards the NFL season actually starting, at least you know drags it out a little more, kills the board a little bit. So I guess that's where my preference would be. Uh, uh, Warlock, which 2020 rookie flashed? but you feel like it's probably fool's gold or at least a definite sell at their perceived price. It's a really good question. Um, a lot of people ask similar questions and don't force you into a corner. This one really does. So yeah, keep phrasing questions the way you do, dude. Uh, that's a really good one. Because um, it puts me on the spot because uh, any answer to this question definitely has the potential to haunt me for the rest of my life <laughs> or at least uh, be provably wrong. Um. I want to say for the record, Claypool, Chase Claypool had amazing, he's amazingly productive. If you like Chase Claypool, don't let my opinion sway you, but he's a rookie evaluation that I'm still holding on to a little bit. Uh, I didn't see this kind of potential for him in the NFL, and he's proven me wrong. But again, where I'll update my evaluation, it still doesn't rise to meet what he actually did. Having said that, I recently went and looked. And I think he's wide receiver 24 in ADP, which seems both low and high. So I I think the trade value is probably higher. If I can get first round pick plus for Claypool, although during rookie season, that's probably really hard to do because the rookie values on picks go up, um, then I would do it. Um, outside of that, he's a hold. But Claypool is the one I have the most doubt of, of the ones who really did well this year. Um you know, there are a few that I like more uh, or other people like more that I might feel more strongly aren't going to continue, but I wouldn't, I don't think they flash particularly. I don't think everyone, anyone's really on the bandwagon. And um, I know listening to the last AMA, um, I'm a big fan of Gabriel Davis and as a really big fan of undrafted free agents um, and uh, a really big fan of lower drafted players as well. I'm not so sure that continues. Although, again, I will admit it's a really impressive rookie season. So uh, what do you do with that? I, I let my previous bias hold on to it. He was pretty productive as a rookie. Um, as a college prospect, he was actually pretty decent. But he didn't stand out to me the way Claypool or some of the others who really hit higher ceilings did. Um, but I definitely think he had an impressive rookie season. I get things wrong all the time. But I don't think he's one of the flashes that are getting drafted so high that he's definite sell. I think Claypool is more in that category. And um, outside of that, like I'm all in on CeeDee Lamb. Like I think CeeDee Lamb's good. I think he proved himself to be good. Same with T. Higgins. Same with um God, I'm having trouble. Justin Jefferson, obviously. Uh Brandon Ayuk will probably be the next one on the list that I'm willing to believe might be fool's gold. But again, my opinion on him has risen significantly because I update my evaluations with new information, but uh, he's the one who had the second worst profile out of that group, you know? Um, slightly better than Claypool. Uh, which 2020 rookies? I think you just... Is that the same question? No, it's the opposite. Clever. Um, Kenzo and Moore, which 2020 rookies didn't live up to the rest of the draft class greatness, and it was a great class. Um, are you looking at as great possible year two breakouts? Jalen Regal is at the top of the list. If Clyde Edwards-Hilaire or James Robinson isn't on that list for you, they're very much on that list for me, but just, just to be safe. Um, 
but yeah, Jalen Rago heads that list for me. Also, Denzel Mims. I was pretty high on them as rookies. I don't think they did. I, I think they had solid rookie seasons. It wasn't as spectacular. Obviously, Justin Jefferson seasons like off the charts. Um, same with T. Higgins, frankly, or Claypool. Like all, all had higher and better seasons, but um, they weren't low enough that I don't think they're good now. Um, so Mims and Rago both, uh, I like pretty well. Um, why are vacated targets the most important thing to pay attention to in the off season? I can I sue people for making me say things? No, <laughs> okay, no. Solo Paul asks why vacated targets the most important thing to pay attention to in the off season. Love you, Peter. Just messing. Hey, Tan. Uh, I hate you. No, 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 no. Um, I, I'll say this, and I've said it a few times, and it's gone far less noted. We do not. Okay. Uh, thank you. I just got a message from your mod. Real prudes. Uh, they want me to put pants back on. I'm not doing it. Um, they want me. Uh, what was I going to say? Um, but it gets less noticed than when I just go nuts because vacated targets aren't real. And we do not understand the relationship between player pool, player talent, targets, vac- like any of that very well. I can say pretty certainly that they are not vacated. DeAndre Hopkins took his damn targets with him to Cleveland, okay? And But at the same time, there is a relationship there. So there is more to discover. You should definitely be looking at that, despite your troll, Tan. Hey. <laughs> um, I've just been told with timing, or I've been going on too long, which is a thing that happens, but I am allowed to go want so both things are true um let, let me know if you want to leave or, or whatever but i i just intend to answer questions as long as there are questions personally because that's because i'm stupid um peter i hear your analytics of dynasty chapter is awesome tell us about it and then there's a the four laughing emojis what are the laughing emojis about it is awesome wait is that jordan mcnamara <laughs> um my chapter in uh, Dynasty of Analytics or the next chapter of Dynasty of Analytics is basically look at rookie stats. I tried very hard not to s- sell a model or here's why you should just follow my rookie rankings and, and just tried to lay out the groundwork of what's telling us anything and what is it telling us when it's telling us something. So points per game for running backs. It's useful. How is it useful? What does useful mean when you compare it to combine stats? And so I just tried to compare stats between each other. Like if I'm just looking at one number, which number do I look at? This one. But here's how little it actually tells you. But here's how it can be useful when you consider it to draft round. So I just tried to lay out the foundation as far as I can tell the basics of which stats are useful and how useful they are. Turns out not many of them are very useful at all, which is why I kind of go a little nuts when people won't e- refuse to even understand what the few useful things we have actually are. Like, you can't blame a player for breaking out because there was another good player on the team. No. Look, we should be at a point where we realize if a player's good, they can break out if there's another good player on that team. That's why it has signal. I mean, Justin Jefferson just elevated to the NFL. You will not find a harder jump anywhere from one place to another than going from college to the NFL. And he had a 40% dominator, while Adam Thielen also had a 40%. They they count for like 80% of the team's receiving production together. Like, that's that's amazing. And it's because Jefferson must be really good. Now, not all good players are going to do that every year or at every age or first year. 
but they can do it, and that's why it's significant when a player does. When a player doesn't, well, they didn't do it, but it means something. So, like, that's just how it is. That's just what happens. If we're still arguing about if what happens happens, we can't advance it to see if we can do any better than that. So what I tried to do with that chapter is just list out the things that we know right now. You can, you might do better at it with me. Here's my data. Do it. I want to know. But we should at least accept the things that are and what they are telling us right now so that when Jordan McNamara or anyone else furthers it, we don't have to have the baseline conversation of, are breakouts real? Is age important? I mean, yes. I don't know how or why, and we can probably do better than it, but it is seemingly important. And so, yeah, I stayed very much just what stats tell us how much. That's kind of the chapter. I don't know if I'm doing a good job here, Jordan. You should probably sell it, not me. I'm not a, not a good seller. Um, what questions interest had the greatest impact on your model? Uh, I, I don't know how to answer that one. What question interest uh, from Aces 8 had the greatest impact on your model? I don't know what questions or what interest we're talking about. Um, don't know. <laughs> um, but the answer is probably going to be position specific. Um, for example, I, I tell you what, something in that chapter is which year is most important. Because again, different, like smarter people have different results than me. And I try to say that in the chapter, but here's my numbers and how the result turns out. Um, and that's why I think what I do. Um, for wide receiver, average the average of their college year. For any stat that you're particularly interested in looking at, if you look at the average, that tends to be better than looking at their first, last, or best. Literally, J.J. Zacharyson disagrees with that. Not with me, because he, he doesn't know my name, but the idea. And um, he says, uh, I think that best still has significance. But I, I find the average to be more predictive in and of itself if you were to compare all four, first, last, best, average. Um, with running backs, the best season seems to be very significant, which makes a lot of sense to me because you've got Miles Sanders sitting behind Barkley or if you've got a running back that gets injured. You have less running backs on the field. There's less opportunity to do well if there's another player doing well, and teams get to choose which running backs are on the field, which means that you can't, they literally can't break out if you're not put in the field. With wide receiver, the reason it's possible is because you can still be on the field and get targeted because you're getting more open than the guy who's meant to be getting targeted. That's, how you, that's why you can break out with another good, another good player on the field. And with running backs, it doesn't work that way. And with tight end... I think the best season often works because we've got so many good seasons, good players in the NFL. Jimmy Graham comes to mind and they only play one season in college. So their numbers just bolster the best season for tight end for quarterbacks. I don't know. Don't ask me. I didn't say it. What? Who? That's literally my answer for all quarterback questions. So just so you know, in advance, no idea. Never heard of them. <laughs> um, it, no idea. Um, let me see. Uh, Electro Nick again. Record. I agree. Um, Pora? P-A-W-A. -A. Hey, please meet you. Recording audio on P-A Howdy AMA. Nice to know. Um, <laughs> fella who has a lot of symbols in his name. Don't know. Sorry. How fast can you solve a Rubik's Cube? Um, I actually have an app because I'm a very boring man and uh, I can't take my actual Rubik's Cube. And I only recently learned 
and I didn't figure it out because I'm not actually smart, but I can learn a series of moves, okay? I can do that much. Um, and my fastest time, I think, obviously, it, I guess it depends how scrambled it is, uh, but it was three minutes and 46 seconds, I think. I'm certainly not one of those 10 seconds or less guys. Uh, uh, there's a double entendre in there, I'm sure. But uh, yeah, that's actually the quickest I've ever done it, uh, according to my app. Uh, the live cube, it takes longer because I, I, I lose track of where I am more quickly because, again, I'm not that smart. Uh, solar pool, boxes or briefs? Nothing right now. Pantsless, I told you. The answer should be yes. The answer is no. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Peter called me a prude, and I took that personally. Well, it was meant intentionally to insult you, Electron Nick, so no. Uh, but, yeah, seriously, man, you should let people go naked more. I'm just saying. Forcing me to wear clothes. I'm at home. I'm quarantined. I should be allowed to be naked. Uh, burn the badman. <laughs> That's an awesome name. Uh, hey man, pants aren't required as far as I know. I'm just saying I had to. Uh, I literally had to threaten the walk. Just, uh, just saying. Um, niggas are prude. Nice, but we love him. Uh, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, <laughs> Electro Nook Ramble. That's what. That's why we got you here. I don't think these are questions, but I think I just kind of keep reading them, I guess. Jen Cam, uh, what are the red flags of a league should consider leaving? If you're not having fun is one. Like, if you don't enjoy a league, just leave it. And I hate to say it that way, but, I mean, this should... At the, for me, I, I mean, if, unless you're playing for thousands of dollars, in which case it's less about fun, I guess. But, like, if it's not fun, just leave. Um, outside of that, it depends what you like in a league. Some people like a quieter league. They don't want constant trade offers and constant chatter on the DM forum. I know personally, one of my most active leagues is run by John Bosch because he has constant things you have to do and the salary caps and side auctions and side drafts. And I, I learned I'm more of a vanilla player, but I'm in there because I love everyone in there. I like interacting with them. They're so funny in the group chat and it is always talking and i actually enjoy that um but I, I i guess that's the only way i can answer it. a league is bad if you're not in if you're not getting out of it what you want to um and for me that's is it fun and if it's not fun you you should feel free to leave <laughs> you know it's fine uh, there are so many of us playing in so many leagues these days so we'll find you another Hit us up on Twitter and we'll, sh we'll share it and we'll find you a good league. Um, but yeah, that's my defining factor. If I'm having fun, that's cool. Uh, I've had and had to leave leagues because I just had too many. I've finally cut back a lot. Uh, and now I'm thinking about expanding again, obviously, because I had so much fun with less leagues. Um, but uh, yeah, and that's fine, too. If you're going to leave because, you know, it's too much pressure. I know the chore of setting like 20 leagues waiver wires every Wednesday. And if it gets unfun, leave. That's my answer. I guess I'm just sticking with that. Electro Nick, the prude, says, uh, Sola is Tanho from DLF, by the way, Peter. Yeah, I got that. It's all right. Um, but appreciate the uh, appreciate the mention. Edit, just so you know, this is where we're... This is about where discussion started after the AMA started. Uh, okay, cool. Nice. Appreciate it. Um, so I've been talking to ghosts this entire time, which is kind of creepy, actually. Ghost comments. Ugh. Lord. Uh, sushi, I am not, says Solar Paul. How many fantasy leagues are you in? Any tips for managing a lot? Oh, I just said. Um, I actually cut back to five. That's not including charity leagues and like um, Scott Fishball, which are often more redraft, or I do the Eliminator pools for John Bosch's charity shit, too. Pardon me, I don't know if I can sway it. Um, 
So I have a few more leagues than that, but actual dynasty leagues, I'm moving about five. One of them is a baseball, so that requires basically no maintenance, especially since they built it so you can only make waiver moves two or three times in an entire year because it was just full of a bunch of people who want another league but don't want to work another league. And, and honestly, the truth is, if we were honestly not enjoying tilting or just throwing shade at each other, they'd all be best ball total results leagues and none of us really want that we want head-to-head variants um, uh, but anyway but yeah one of the best for and i i kind of want to expand it but i don't like telling people that because i get invites and i'm like it's not like i don't want to play with you it's just i'm not in a league with some of the people that i like are really good friends of mine and i'm kind of hoping they ante up and say okay you can play with me but so far no but um yeah five's a good number i found i was at 25 at one point and that was some kind of fresh hell because, um, well, you definitely all know the pain. So <laughs> of setting waivers every week and I'm, I've become very lax in, in, in my uh, waiver wire management, at least for the first few weeks. I'm probably as attentive as anyone else. And then I like to see who's taken and swoop in after to see who's ever's left. That's honestly how I got Miles Gaskin. Like I like he was ranked and we all look at the rankings of the best ads every week. Um, and he was on there and I thought he had a pretty impressive usage that last week. And he was left on four out of five of my waivers, I believe. And I was like, thank you. Free. Didn't even have to submit a bid. And I've kind of become more that way. Um, like I like swooping in after the waivers run, especially as the season rolls on, just to see who's left. Because also teams will drop players to add the new hotness. Sometimes that works out, sometimes it doesn't. And sometimes they have to drop the player that's not droppable, borderline. I understand why they do it, but I kind of like coming in behind them and taking up any of those players that drop. So my management's become lax, which again, has also made it kind of fun. Um, because the less stress you can put, I can put on that stuff, the more I can enjoy the stuff I enjoy in that league. And um, having said that, I stunk out loud in some of my leagues. Like I did so well to lose them all badly. I, I, I got so much right and lost them all badly. My team has so many good players and I, I don't get close. I don't know what happened this year. I think I was paying too much attention to content and projections instead of actually managing my teams. Um, but I found five to be a good number. And therefore I intend to, you know, have more because... I can't stop. Um, where am I? Uh, Claypool. That's the one I just read. Taylor Gang or MXSLVR. Appreciate it. Uh, just a tip, please. I, I'm I'm not standing up. No. Uh, Solopool edit. Nick wants you to know uh, that swearing is okay. Appreciate that, Nick, because I, I have no control over my mouth. Uh, what's the best thing you brought recently in the last six months for under 100 bucks? I don't buy things man um no, no actually yeah I, I, i've got one um I, like i had to get out the the knife woodworking game because there's so many things to use and i ended up buying them and going oh this is cool gadget and then stuff really gives me like things and i don't know how to explain this i've tried to explain my my wife and kids just say i have like the re- a reverse hoarder problem but it's just a psychology thing like when i have things I just have this background anxiety. And so I have this collection of tools and old tools and just cool junk um, that I found interesting, the history of it. And I just, I would end up selling it off in periods because I don't like things. It just, I don't like things. And so I don't actually buy a lot, but um, 
for under a hundred bucks, uh, I did have developed a slight collection hobby with these shirts. Um, and I bought the one that's uh, for, um, uh, I don't know if I have it close, but I've started to pick them up. So I've got this DLF shirt and I've got one for trade addicts and most of the podcasts I listen to. I'm not in a race with Dynasty Outhouse because I think he owns every fantasy shirt ever. But um, yeah, that, that's probably my, my, my uh, best purchase was a fantasy shirt recently that supported James the Brain's family. He, if you don't know, he's one of our friends in our little tiny corner of our little tiny thing. James Brain was a pretty amazing analyst on one of the podcasts I love listening to, and unfortunately he passed away, leaving behind a wife and his kids. I hate to bring the tone down here, um, but, but it was incredibly sad. But Dynasty Outhouse, and along with other people, started whatever we could to try and help him out. And one of them was shirts, and all the money went directly to Nick's family. Now, I'm sure it barely bought them groceries because they weren't that much. But um, that was probably my most favorite purchase because the little I have went somewhere that I appreciated. Um, and so, yeah, big shout out to Dynasty Outhouse for doing it. And that's definitely my most favorite purchase uh, in the last few years, actually, specifically for under $100. Um, uh, and most things I buy are under $100, to be very clear. Uh, Two-part question. What player did you hold on for too long that, in hindsight, you should have cut earlier? Um probably still on my roster to be honest and no i do have some good answers for this because i use I, I i still very much like ride or dying with lower drafted players and who was a guy i just finally had to cut him um leonte carew was definitely on my rosters for way too long that, that's a fairly good answer but it was a more hilarious one. One of the earliest ones was Michael Campanaro. I mean, I was just convinced that was a New England player that hadn't found New England yet. I loved Michael Campanaro, like, insanely. If you go back and check my Twitter feed, like, almost every other tweet back in the day was Michael Campanaro. <laughs> um, and, yeah, that was it. I still say that was injuries. But um, I, I love that guy, and he just stayed on my roster until I absolutely had to cut him. I still have Andrew Luck in a few places. Because again, that's just a player I deeply uh, liked and enjoyed watching. Um, well, I'm not behind that line, but you know what I mean. Um, and so that's probably too long as well. Basically, every undrafted free agent you were never interested in, those two. Um, uh, Adam Steelers fan. How you doing, Adam? Uh, Swift, Acres, Dobbins, CEH. How much do you, how do you have them rank going forward? Well, they're all on the, again, running backs on the come up. I want them all, to be fair. If you're forcing me, Adam, if you're forcing me, um, look, uh, process would have it CEH, probably Acres, Dobbins, Acres, Swift, Dobbins, I think would be the process based on the volume they managed to obtain in their first season. Preferentially, me knowing me in my league, CEH at the top of that lift. I want Acres next, then I want Dobbins, and then I want Swift. I just. I don't know if it's a Detroit bias, but both neither Acres or Swift really hit the threshold you want for opportunity share. You want I know they showed out their talent. I know they're talented. Don't get me wrong, but probably by the numbers, um, those last three didn't get the opportunity share, for example, that you would expect. Um, for running backs who have to keep producing, they're within range because they're good. And we saw games from all three of them, which were amazing. We know they have talent from the rookie profiles, and that definitely proved out in the NFL. Detroit's a team I trust the least to actually do it. That's, that's why I think I have a swift 
past days. Also, I wasn't as high on Swift as those others on a rookie profile basis. And Swift, for a while there, running back one after his one good game. And that didn't happen for Akers, Dobbins. There seemed like a residual group that have a strong sway in ADP that were just waiting for a good Swift game. And it didn't happen. With, I, I didn't understand it. And things that don't make sense, like scare me. <laughs> I don't like what I don't understand. So I didn't understand why Swift became the running back one after CEH had been the rookie running back one all season. And then it was Jonathan Taylor. And Swift had one good game and everyone wrapped him up. And I was like, what? Why were you all waiting for it to be Swift? We liked all of these guys. So I have a slight Swift weirdness. But um, yeah, to be very clear, my personal preference is CEH Akers, Dobbins, Swift. I really like Akers' profile, man. But do- I get why um well he got the Ryan McDowell bump, DLF, the grandfather or godfather, I think it is, of Dynasty as his nickname is. Um and it was a really smart process that put Dobbins in there. Um and I like Baltimore as well. I, I like it better as a team. But um I do fear the committee more than Los Angeles. What's happened to the Rams, man? They seem to be still a really well-managed team, but I have a slightly hard time understanding what they are at this point. But I, I still like them a little bit more than Baltimore for the way they'll use running backs, although to- the end of Todd Gurley's reign there was weird. Uh, and definitely Detroit. Like, it's just one of those teams that I'm kind of stand off in the way they manage talent there. Um, how does a Brit get into American football? He moves to America. Honestly, that's why I started 2013 or later. I was looking to integrate in my community, learn about my environment. I love sports, and I'd never paid, like, apart from maybe passing, mocking American sports, World Series without the world, you know, something like that. Don't like soccer when the whole world plays it. Uh, God, they've got me calling it soccer. Look at that. Um, But, uh, yeah, but I I wanted to be interested in the sports that were around me. It's not that it's hard these days to keep up with any sport, the way the internet and cable and everything runs, but I'm I'm a very lazy man. It's the same reason I don't drink tea. I drink coffee now. It's because I have to go to extra effort to get tea. And I just, I'm very much an off-the-shelf guy. <laughs> I guess the same with the spending habits. It's not a, a limit or something. I just, I like um, being simple and basic, I guess. And since these are the sports that people were engaged in, I wanted to get involved in them. So when they offered me to get interested in that fantasy league, that's what that was my introduction to American football. That was the reason. And I was actually interested in fantasy football, not football, which is very backwards and not right, I'm sure. But that's how. Um, and I got here because I married a woman who lives here, and it makes it easier to be married when you're on the same continent most days. Uh, that's my go-to line. Uh, burn the badmen. Time to start a fight. Do you prefer Zach Moss or Devin Singletary? Neither. You can have both. What are you giving them? What are you giving me for him? I take it. Cool. I, 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 no. <laughs> it's just not me. Uh, couldn't be me. Uh, begrudgingly awake. Thanks for being on, mate. Do you have a rugby team? I don't. I was, I was a football fan more than a rugby team. Um. So what I did with stuff like that is I supported my local teams. Telford had a rugby team, and also when I went to university, they had their own rugby team, and I supported their team. Um, But I don't have a national team. Well, I guess I have a national team that I would support, but I don't have a league team or anything, unfortunately. Apologize. Um, But as you probably know, it kind of goes one way or the other. You kind of prefer one sport or the other. Here it's not true. I guess it's kind of true. Most Kentuckians are basketball fans. You'll find very few that are primarily football fans. But um, so I guess it is kind of true that you're one or the other around here. Ooh. Sorry, I almost forgot. This is a Dynasty Dummy uh, mug, by the way. Zach Reed and uh, Kyle LeBrecht from the Dynasty Dummies. 
but I can't pick it up by the handle because my my dog has knocked it off the table twice now, and this handle it's super glued on, so I can't pick it up that way. Uh, without making a mess, uh, th thanks for being on me. I uh, just answered that one. I got a big thumbs up from Electric Nick. Appreciate that. Solar Pool, uh, what's the ideal Dynasty League scoring starter roster structure? In my opinion, I don't know. Best in terms of ideal to actually accurately crown the person who luck and skill got the best team, it's best ball and total points all play. But I would not, that's not my thing. My, I'm Like I say, I've learned I'm a very vanilla player. I like points per game. Uh, PPR, sorry. Um, I like head-to-head -head leagues. I do like some of the playoff settings we've come up with. Like you don't just get kicked out the first head-to-head uh, -head in the playoffs, and um, because you had the second best score and you played the first best score. So some of the Scott Fishwell settings, I actually think are pretty lit, where they do it over two games and stuff like that. But as far as scoring goes, I just like regular PPR: three wide receivers, two running backs, a flex, one tight end. And um, I do like super flex because it puts a little value on that position. So uh, I will go with that new modern change um, as part of my, you know, basic sample. Again, I'm an off-the-wreck kind of guy, I guess. I don't know. Um, uh, Moncore, thanks for putting all the great content on your Patreon. No problem. Uh, let me know if I can do better or do more. Uh, you spoke about receiving yards per game, per team attempt um, on Jay Zacharyson's podcast. He's actually the first person, one of the first people I heard talk about it, and I talked about it to him, which is pretty cool. Uh, can you shine some light on how we can apply that stat? Yeah. Um, you can't. Moving on. No. Um, what I found useful, or the best way I found of calculating it, especially if you want to get a history of it, is dividing team attempts per game by players' yards per game. By the way, if you're interested in creating that, it's in my NFL database, but I'm assuming you might have a prefer other sources. So that's one way of getting at it, because it adjusts for games missed without having to have weekly data. That's why I do it that way. Um, essentially, it's the only thing... It's very... Okay. Then we start from a fresh air. What, what can we use it for? It's very, very sticky and comparative to other NFL stats. One of the best predictors of, not predictors, explainers of itself the following season is points per game. And now it's still less than 50%. So that's why there's so much variance season to season with injuries or teams not being as good or being better than we thought of James Robinson's happening, so on and so forth. Um, but uh, yards per team attempt is actually as sticky in the NFL by position as points per game or expected points. And the reason I love it so much is that you and I can calculate it just using team attempts and game and a very division calculation. Like everyone can divide two numbers, right? All right, I can, so I assume everyone can because I'm not that sophisticated. But expected points models, the stuff I'm getting, we can get from Rotoviz, and that, that literally takes real nerds. That takes like week by week, play by play data, evaluating how valuable every touch a player gets depending on their yard line, the place on the field, scoring position, like a real expected points model is sophisticated as all get out. I I could build one because I would spend years doing it and I'm that stubborn. But it's not a simple thing. And yet, if you just divide team attempts per game, we get a stat that's just as sticky. That That's the beauty of it in my mind. Now, I do think expected points models are better. And I think points per game, again, is um, also slightly more sticky year to year. Um, but that's how it's useful. It's sticky. You can believe that stat. One is about the player 
and how well he performed on that team in that situation. And he can expect them to be within a range of that stat the following year. So, uh, I don't know. Let me pull up something here. I was actually... Uh, what have I got? Uh, there it is. So, if we look at rookie running backs, for example, one way that I thought about ranking players is looking at their expected points per game, year one, and how well they... Uh, of team yards per team attempt and how well that compares to past players. So looking at rookies this year, for example, and it it is a volume-dependent stat, even adjusting for games, the fact that Swift, you know, uh, got his opportunity later than Clyde Edwards-Slayer affects it. So you can adjust it a little bit for that as well. But um, James Robinson leads the rookie class this year, followed by Jonathan Taylor, followed by Antonio Williams, interestingly enough, but he probably didn't touch the ball enough that it would be within a significant sample. Then it's Clyde Edwards-Lair, Antonio Gibson, and John Dre Swift. So I would say, outside of Antonio Williams, and that's a fair measure of how well they performed on their opportunity without having to create an expected points model. Now, the way we can use that, again, I've got a little R-square table, and linear testing is not the only way to test whether a stat is useful, and that's what R-squared is. It assumes a linear relationship, and it not everything has a good linear relationship. Um, but again, looking at running backs, very broad sample, just all players that played five games one year and then the next year with at least 30 touches. Running backs, yards for team attempt um, was pre- uh, explaining 40% of the variance of their next following year's stat. Points per game or expected points were explaining about 41%. So like, it's a really simple stat. And yet it merges volume, team role together somewhat. And we can calculate it ourselves at home without, you know, being a true nerd. And and it's about as sticky. And I think that's interesting. I think if we look at that in terms of expectations of rookies and so on and so forth, then, we, uh, then it can be a fairly useful step. For example, uh, well, let's do this. I've got this pulled up. Running backs who have had at least two top 12 seasons, so re- really high bar, in their first year, the average, about 1.4 yards per team attempt and there are this year in this rookie class several players over that mark and that's james robinson and jonathan taylor so those are the only two that uh, are over that mark now there are the others um clyde edwards hilaire antonio gibson swift um are all within range of that 1.4 mark because again it's an average so you expect variance over and under but when you look at swift swift was 1.14 which is significantly lower it's within range of an average let's face it but but it is significantly lower than both gibson and clyde edwards ledge and jonathan williams is over it Um, and i think that's how it's useful just look at what a good expectation is for the elite and then how well did these rookies compare to it now, we can also adjust that for draft capital, which my little lookup thing you can do, but you, I've been going on too long. Anyway. That was just for all rookies drafted in the first three rounds who have had two top 24 seasons. These guys were drafted outside the first round, so maybe there's a slightly different expectation because they got their opportunity later, probably because of that draft capital, right? So maybe it's a little unfair to judge Swift just based on that. But again, that's how I'd use it because it's sticky. It's a fair thing to compare to past examples and then see how you feel about that player performing compared to that example. That's why I'd say stickiness is valuable for specifically for rookies. But also, you know, if you want to look at Hopkins, because it's per attempt, so it works for wide receivers. Actually, for wide receivers, um, uh, yeah, it's about the same range. Yards per team attempt was uh, 39%, explaining uh, the following year's stats. 
and expected points models to about 35% actually, total expected points, not like receiving expected points. And then points per game was explaining 40% for wide receivers. And again, that's a very broad sample. We could shrink it to get more accurate. But um, it, it's either way, it's one of the most sticky things in this broad sample test. And so you could look at DeAndre Hopkins, you could look at Boyd, you could look at Keenan Allen. I don't think efficiency shows drop off, but maybe yards per team attempt does because it is typically a stick more sticky stat. Maybe because you know we ju- we just starting to use it for rookies, and I haven't seen a lot of NFL, so I really don't know. I don't think anyone's looked. Does this help us better understand the player's career arc, or if they're underperforming, do they bounce back in it like a efficiency stat, or is it more a volume stat where less of it is just worse? And so it could potentially have a lot of utility, but we don't plunder the depths, mainly because there are better stats. Expected points is a better stat. That's why they put so much effort into it. But this is the thing we can do. And I kind of like that. I like simplicity, man. I'm an off right kind of guy. I've said that like three times. That's my new catchphrase at this point, I guess. And yeah, you're welcome there. I appreciate checking it out. Electro Nook, suck it solar. Appreciate it. Um, begrudgingly away. Tyler B did so well his rookie year, and then people ignore. Yeah, exactly. And that's actually one of the earlier questions. One of the best ways of looking for players is players that have proven something, and then you know, for reasons outside control, which I include injury in, they underperform, and then everyone's like, ah, forget it. Keenan Allen and Tyler Boyd are in that category because of age right now, probably, and. Um, even though DeAndre Hopkins continues to be elevated. Why is Keenan Allen, or is, anyway, um, Tyler Lockett as well, but he is more a downfield player, so you could have some, uh, you know, it's harder to maintain that muscle elasticity for his type of player, I guess. Um, but uh, one player that fits that description right now, by the way, is Debo Samuel, talking about Brandon Ayuk. Debo Samuel, I was comparing the rookie seasons the other day. Brandon Ayuk's is better, but they're pretty similar. And now everyone's like, ah, Brandon Ayuk. Like, I was low on Brandon Ayuk, and then uh, everyone went even higher uh, on Debo Samuel, sorry. And then everyone went higher, even higher on Debo Samuel his first year. And now I am high, and I have just had to maintain my position. He's pretty decent. So I've gone from being below market to above market after having a good NFL season just by not forgetting that he was good that one year. Like, that's all I had to do. Just remember he was good that one year that first year, which is significant. So, yeah, um, Brand, uh, Debo Samuel might be getting the, the Tyler Boyd treatment. But, again, I can't entirely discount Brandon Ayuk. This is, that was an incredibly good rookie season. But I do think we don't know how that's going to work out quite as well. And where if the value is different enough, like I think I might end up with some Debo Samuel this season. Um, he's into olds. I knew this already. Yeah, I'm probably, I'm probably into olds. Um. Alba, uh, I've seen some people start shame, uh, stat shame college dominator adjusted for missed games due to injury, etc. Compared to overall college dominator, where do you stand on this? I actually wrote an article once for FS Statistics, which is now long, longer online, so i got to guess rewrite it. But it's one of the bigger research projects I did. I found the result of adjusting per game to be fair in an individual context. So if you want to look at DK Metcalf when you have realistic reasons for expecting, because he didn't play those other years and was injured, that's fair. But you also can't compare that step directly to pure college dominator, not adjusted for college. So it's a little tricky to do both and not instead of one or the other. 
But what I can tell you is if you don't specifically focus on a player, like if you want DK Metcalf's college dominator to look better, I get it. So do I. It would be nice if all the stats lined up neatly. Or AJ Brown's for that matter. And therefore you adjust everyone's dominator per game. What you do is you push the good players down. You push Julio Jones, you push Calvin Ridley, you push Larry Fitzgerald. You make their dominator look less. And you rise up Laquan Treadwell, Philip Dorsett, and all the players who didn't specifically perform well because you're giving them a slight boost and everyone else a slight downgrade because they actually played for college seasons and these guys were underperforming, but you're dividing by a smaller number. Just to get the few that we know significantly missed time. Like, I don't adjust per game. Uh, with college dominators specifically, it seems to have an adverse effect on the broad sample. And I don't look, I don't try to prospect that way. I'm not trying to make a stat fit what I know about a player. I'm trying to see what the stat can tell me about that player. And in terms of dominator, I think it's really descriptive. It has some predict or explanatory power into the NFL. And it's definitely a style I calculate, I track, and I look at when I'm doing evaluations. But I have, I, I know that it can be randomly affected by the player situation. So I need to know more about DK Metcalf, which obviously we're all going to anyway. So there's no worries there. We're going to do so much research. Um, so I, yeah, I'm not a per game guy. I think if it has a negative effect on the overall sample. But I understand why looking at a specific player if his college dominator is low and he played eight games <laughs> i get it it's like we can kind of discount that but you have to show it somewhere else like in those games he was very productive which is a per game thing but you can't compare that to past players and then re-rank them and say see he's on the top now that's that's just not fair and the best i could do with metcalf is a similar with uh, brandon Ayuk. he was very good when he played i don't know what that looks like in a larger sample and so I have to be less sure of how he ranks, which put me too low on DK Metcalf, to be fair. But I actually moved him down a few spots that year just to draw Jake again, which seems to be the source of a lot of my problems. But anyway, um, but I still had him ranked significantly high. Like it was very clear, especially once you saw his draft capital um, and all the other ancillary stuff. And his other numbers were good in that season or in the times that he played. So I wouldn't, downgrade the results of the overall sample just to adjust for a few players that I know worked out. That's not my process. Um, but I do think it's fair to say like players' stats deserve asterisks if they were injured or missed time, like Brandon Ayuk, who only played two seasons, or like Calvin Ridley's breakout age because he only played at 20. He can't break out earlier than that, or AJ Green for that matter, or DK Metcalf or AJ Brown. And therefore, we're just a little less certain about their overall prospects um, and as long as we know that, at least we know what we're betting on. It might not have been as good if they played longer. In terms of DK Metcalf and AJ Brown, yeah, it would have still been good. But we didn't know that until we saw them play more. So, yeah, it's fair to have concerns. Um, but, yeah, sorry. That, that's where I'm at. I hate I hate to per-game shame, but there I am. Uh, J Genkem, or Genkem, I'm guessing. When do you start uh, to staff draft picks? I, I don't. I trade them like 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 a demon. Uh, are there certain parts of the draft you like to target to obtain capital? Not really. Um, I mean, yes and no, but it's so leagues. You know, this is one of the questions I could easily slide out with, with a typical dynasty answer of, you want all picks or trade, or, or what is it? 
trade for rookie picks during the playoff push because teams trying to win will bleed capital in order to, uh, you know, um, uh, secure the win. Well, they should, but they don't, weirdly enough. Because um, in my league and also in most leagues, teams are hesitant to do that because rookie picks always, they're, they're the liquid capital of the league. It's never really an easy time in practice. In practical terms, I've never found they're an easy time, but it is typically easy to start, easy to trade for rookie picks at the start. I find of a of a season, and so making that call of when you're going all in, um, for liquid value earlier is often better. Um, I don't really target rookie picks unless I think I can get them at a discount or get them at good value. Um, then I'm not targeting anything. But I, I will go for anything that I think is good value or that I can get excess value from. Um, I never, I don't typically, I'm not someone, uh, three thing, three phrases that mean the same thing, like that. And I don't rebuild. I don't, I don't think that way. I'm trying to win all the time. But there does come a point where you're like, well, this team sucks, but I'm still trying to improve my team constantly. The idea of rebuilding, I know, I, it's not really... So the only way I think of it, um, so there's, so I'm never really targeting players. Um, as far as which range of the draft to target, like I get it, especially when you look at past ranks, you're like, look at all these players hitting in the second, third round. But when you look over a broad sample, instead of individual cherry picking, you could get Gibson in the second round. Yeah, but the other eleven picks suck right? Well, not all of them, but you get what I mean. You have a much higher chance of not getting Gibson. In fact, just getting nothing for that rookie pick. And when you look at hit rates, it's a real, or you look at the history of it, shall we say, it's a really slim chance you get a fantasy relevant player in the first round. It's even slimmer chance in the second round, slimmer chance in the third. Having said that, um, I do kind of like stocking up second round picks as especially in the season because they're easy to trade for. And I think of them as cash. And if you can give me, if I can get 50 cents pieces cheap, <laughs> then I'm okay just stocking up on them and trying to use them as trade pieces. And I think of them more as tradable or liquid assets than things I want to turn into rookie picks. Unless they force me and then I'll just draft the whole second round. I don't care. that that I, I don't know if that answers the question at all. Sorry. And I would say, there are better people to talk about um, with, especially trades and when to trade. Uh, I strongly recommend the Trade Addicts podcast on TLF, obviously, but also Dynasty has Brian Ha. Like they trade constantly and they're pretty savvy at it. And trading is actually a weaker part of my game, which is where I go for more sure things and I just use rookie picks as liquid cash and um, to kind of even out the edges in that part of my game. To be honest with you, I don't do well in rookie. Um, I don't well on trades. I've figured out part of the reason is, and I don't mean this to sound arrogant, is because I sometimes I'm a little ahead of the curve. And I, I know you've experienced this too. Like I knew or I felt that everything was indicating that Nikhil Harry is underperforming what we hoped he could be. So selling him last year was a good idea. But I really love Nikhil Harry's profile. And so like I, that's just the way I play. I play for fun, so I want lots of Nikhil Harry. Why not? Let's go. Maybe he'll be my Corey Davis in a couple of years, and I'll have a lot of fun with that. It won't win me anything, but I have a lot of fun with it. And so I spent a lot of time this offseason trying to convince people he was a good sell while trying to buy, and you end up sounding like you're playing mind games or you're just an asshole. And so um, my goal in trading is not 
isn't right. I'm not, <laughs> and that's partly why I do bad at trades because I end up explaining why it's actually I'm trying to own myself here, but it depends on the analysis I'm providing being right. And so the question is, why would you do that? I'm like, because I'm an idiot. Now give me to kill Harry. <laughs> and, and no one's going to believe that. And they shouldn't, right? Because if it did work out, I'd be like, ha ha ha. But anyway, um, where are we? Uh, begrudgingly awake, Kelvin Harmon. Yep, still there, baby. Still there. Kelvin Harmon all day. He's actually, I saw him on the on the DLF ADP when I looked it up for that question. And I nearly said Kelvin Harmon. Um, uh, and Tyler Johnson too. Just Tyler Johnson all day. Um, every time these players get on the field, by the way, there's always a, there's always some commentator who's like, I don't know why he fell in the draft. It's like, right? Why does no one talk? Like, these are really good players that teams don't care about because they didn't spend draft capital on. It's ridiculous. Um, uh, Solo Pool, how do you weight players that analytics don't like but film does? Um, fair question. It doesn't. It doesn't pin me down, though. I, I can slip out of that one, just so you know. Um, a better way of asking me is with specifics that would hold me to the fire, like player names. The simple answer is it depends on the situation. Is that player being valued at a third round pick or a second round pick? You know, um, like uh, Tyree Kill. Analytics hate him, for example. I, I, that's actually a good one, Devontae Smith. But let me work way around to it. Tyler Tyree Kill. Analytics hate him. He wasn't productive. He didn't play. He actually played as a utility player in college, which is basically a running back. Um, and so I said that he doesn't have a breakout age. He'd never played wide receiver. He has to learn all that. And the intellectually, it didn't make sense to me. Like, you've got to learn to play wide receiver for the first time in the NFL. Come on. But the team kept playing, and he was really fast. <laughs> and, and some players, that, people that I knew who did do film, was like, He's got some skill, man. I don't know what to tell you, but he's got some skill. And I was all about the Demarcus Robinson age 19 breakout. <laughs> but I had plenty of Tyreek Hill. That's what I did with Tyreek Hill because he was relatively cheap, especially before he, that news cycle started with Smith, Robinson, and who's the other guy? Still in the league. Um, he made some noise this year as well. But there was a three-way triumvirate, and we were watching the training camp all season. But he was cheaper to buy earlier, and so that's what I did with it. Analytics didn't like him, but there was some signal. So back when he was basically free to add, and there was an athletic profile to bet on anyway, I could I put some of him on my rosters. Now, the mistake I made with that is I sold the minute the value went up, and I'm still being owned for that one too, but I did profit off it. <laughs> so I'm okay, I'm okay. But uh, there was one point I traded him for a first and Philip Dorsett, and I did not like Philip Dorsett. I was just trying to trade him because I thought the bottom was going to fall out after the first couple of long-distance touchdowns. And it did not. Did not fall out. And so that's what I try to do with it. I try to listen closely. When, when, a, when film likes a player, especially a film analyst I trust and know is good at what they do, like Jake, Zach Reed from the Dynasty Dummies is my go-to these days, Ray GQ. I will listen. And if it doesn't cost anything to add him, I'm not going to be a moron and not have him on the back of my roster just because analytics doesn't like him. Where it gets more tricky is towards the top end. If you're spending a first-round pick on Henry Ruggs, which was fair, that's why I had him ranked. He's a first-round NFL player. That's where I'm doing anything I can to either get out the pick 
or find another player who should be in that range. And 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 it was hard to do because Ruggs this year was a first round pick in the NFL and he was falling to the end of the first round in drafts. And that's very good value. So I just did not want to, I did not want to be there. <laughs> so it, it's an awkward balance um, and it does depend where. With Devontae Smith, I thought I was going to be high on Devontae Smith, to be honest with you, because I spent all last year saying, if you like Henry Ruggs, you should like Devontae Smith. And everyone I asked was like, I don't like Devontae Smith. I was like, oh, cool. Because this year, I was going to say, you know, it happened a little later, but he had more market share. Henry Ruggs was a first-round pick. This was a good team. His production was okay by age. And you all hate him. Day one of rookie season, everyone's like, Devontae Smith is king. And I'm like, ah, crap. I, I quit. Man, none of you, no one I asked last year, everyone thought comparing him to Devontae Smith was an insult. And now it's a, it's a compliment. Like, how, how does everyone change their opinions that quick? Um, I will say this. The, from the brief scans I've seen of rookie Twitter this year, the argument for Smith is he's been good recently. And that is a sucky-ass argument. That is a bad argument. That's recency bias rolled up into a dynasty take, which you are going to bet on for the next three years and hope it cans out. That is a bad... I'm sorry, that's just the only way I have looking at it. That's a bad argument. He has decent production throughout his career. That's the argument. It in no way compares to Rondell Moore's one season or Jamal Chase's three seasons, but he has decent production. Top with that, the film analysts I trust say he's pretty decent. He was underrated last year. The few that I trust were like, yeah, I don't like Devontae Smith, but he's not bad, Pete, was actually the response. So I thought I was going to be high, and it seems because he's had a lot of 100-yard games recently, he's rookie wide receiver one for some people, and that's way too high. It's way too high for me. But I do think there's a decent profile there, and he produced okay. He was decent. I hate to keep using that word, but that's where he is. You know, second, third tier, guessing right receiver five, six, seven, eight, that range. Um, I would draft all of the rookie wide receivers from the 2020 class before seeing the NFL season, long before Devontae Smith. But there's only really two prospects that cleanly look like that in this year's class. And then there's a few others I'm very interested to learn more about that I really haven't yet. So, yeah, that's where I'm at, Devontae Smith, and what I'm doing with it right now. Um, the film analysts of trust say he's pretty good, man. There's more there than people say. But it's counterbalanced by this overreactionary recency bias that it's probably going to push his ADP right now, if the draft was today, way too high. Um, so I, I try and seesaw it. That's, I guess, the answer. Um, additional, do you follow general strategy across the board? I don't. I don't plan to follow a strategy. I think a draft. You should play the draft as it unfolds. That's that's wiggly getting out of it. Answer. And um, I do lean towards known producers. I will lean towards known more than not. But I also stick with my rookie evaluations. For example, um, I, I stick with my evaluations, even though I do saying earlier so like there was a way of drafting dk metcalf above kenny Golladay this year i didn't get there but that's kind of where i want to be at i want to lean on the guy i know is decent but be willing to reach for upside within a similar range of value and and so i'm and again it's a seesaw that's the correct answer it's this bouncy annoying thing but to actually answer your question 
known producers, baby. I want wide receivers on the come down and running backs on the come up. So it's position specific. That's, I guess, a hot take answer. And down with fun. Got a big grin on his face after that. I'm sure. Cool. Neat. Uh, thank you, Jen Ken. Uh, Electronic. Did I hear Corey Davis season? Yes, you did. Several times, actually. I said it. See, I've already adopted Weasley nerd position. Let me straight back this stuff. Like, I'm, I'm a person. I'm six foot one, damn it. Uh, sit up. Uh, Jen Cam, I love the gif. I especially love your hat tip gif there, Electronic. Appreciate it. So, Lapool, hat tip back to you. Flood the chat with Benedict hat tips. Mix them for sure. That's the wrong Benedict Cumberbatch, but I'll take it. Thank you. Um, Dickener, Flickener. Nice. Nice. Uh, I hope you're enjoying that. Jen Cam, mix them for short. And then uh, I. I mm, I actually, to start the season off, you know, as kind of an annual tradition, everyone says, who you're high on, who you're low on. Um, I was re-looking at those lists of players I was lower and higher on according to Dynasty ADP, and I, I think it did pretty well. Joe Mixon is a notable I was lower on the most um, coming into the season. I guess that's my big success hate that noticeable miss as i was lower on terry mcclellan again he now owns my soul legally i'm pretty sure like and i'm a big fan like a big fan now like uh, not 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 making that mistake again and everyone else on that short list by the way like yeah they suck because and i said they suck so it's just terry mcclellan that owns my soul like Damn, uh, but um, Mixon I was fairly low on. Um, I don't know where the reference comes in though. I think he's like, uh, I was. I actually looked it up because he the last AMA you had. I was listening to Mixon being a value, and he's now entering a dangerous age range for running backs who haven't done it yet. I I was high on Mixon when he came in. He's got a decent skill set, high college production. He definitely seems to have the talent on the field. But um, it hasn't happened yet. Like the running backs who break out, like with the highest level of outcomes at this point, I I'm pretty sure the list is Derek Henry. That that's Derek Henry, and he's not Derek Henry. I don't think. But I mean, sure. I mean, there's upside there. And he's running back 18 or so. I looked it up after he mentioned it, and that's that's fine. But uh, I ca I can't say I'm big on the buy mix and trade. Uh, do you have a punishment for last place? No, no. Um, I've never been in a league with like a toilet punishment or anything. We should, though. I would love that. I'm all about trolling and punishing and making fun. Nicely. In a not nice way. No, no, we don't. Um, unfortunately, I don't have any creative ones because I've never seen any bad ones. We basically, especially if I'm in the league, we basically mock each other mercilessly anyway. So everyone gets their just desserts one way or the other, but unfortunately no official ones. And I did enjoy um, Fantasy Life, Matthew Berry's book. Like the stuff people, like that, that was that was awesome experience to read. And they put all the effort into finding out about all of those. So it was some creative, creative things in there. Um, but unfortunately I've never experienced that. Um, Costy Y, Kotsi, eight. Sorry, I want to ask some questions as I do every time. Uh, you ask him to name three plant your flag rookies and three uh, plant your flag Devi picks. Uh, yeah, I don't know Devi. I don't pay attention to college at all. Again, I will strongly advise listening to Ray GQ from the Dynasty Devi Destination thing. He's got a Patreon. He's actually much cooler than me, if nothing else, and knows tape, which I know everyone enjoys. Um, 
that's probably a point I can bring up another point. But we tend to think that the war, the Dynasty World is plethora with all these tape guys and just a few analytics guys holding up the edge. I will point out, in my experience, and I know I'm in a small bubble, but I think if we counted, there are a lot more nerds than tape grinders. So people like Reggie Q and uh, Zach Reed are, and Jake Anderson, for that matter, are actually more of the minority. That's their primary method of filtering the game. So, like, that's actually not just a casual shout out. Like, you should know about Ray. I disagree with him a lot about a lot of things, but you got to appreciate the tank grinders. I actually think they're underrepresented in Dynasty. Don't quote me because I'll deny it. Um, top three rookie picks I can do, though. Again, I haven't finished my evaluation, but Rondo Moore, Jamal Chase, pretty high on the list. Um, I'm going to stay away from running backs because, like I said, I, I think. Pretty much going to be census on those. Um, uh, da, 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 just looking at the list here. I, I tell you what, I like Tylen Wallace a lot. He's one of the ones, casual first glance, that are really entering that top tier, who I don't think are going to be in that top tier because they're, they're not talked to. He, I've never heard his name before, so I doubt he's in the running for that kind of draft capital. I assume there's a conference problem. Again, I don't know where Oklahoma is or if that's just a terrible school against bad defenses. I don't know. But I know his production in that situation was pretty impressive. Um, and so I'll name... Oh, oh. Oh. And Rashad Bateman. I named four. Okay. You you can't control me, Costy8. <laughs> but um, if I had to choose between those four, Bateman would be on the list, though. I really like the way Bateman's production went about his job here. Like, I'm pretty impressed every year. Rondo Moore only has one season, but it's one of the most impressive rookie seasons in college I've ever seen. Um, so it's hard to discount him. Um, Jamar Chase is just is a, is a really good profile. It fits with the 2020 class top producers really easily. So hard to discount him out of it. So I guess I go Bateman, uh, Chase, and Moore. Just just a shout-out reference to Tom Wallace there. Uh, this is a direct channel, so he can see himself. You're all set. Glad. Um, so LePoule, he doesn't do Devi, by the way. Yeah, unfortunately, like, I, I, I don't. don't. I have a lot of college prospects. Um, I knew about Bateman in advance because he was a potential pick from last year. So I am aware of a few players that will remain Devi, but we don't know who that is yet, so... I, I, I don't. Again, uh, Ray's excellent. Um, Jen Cam just read all the questions first is all I ask. Just read all my questions first is all I ask. Uh, I, d if I missed any, I apologize. Chris uh, loves WAP and Claypool. I'm sorry. Uh, where are we? Um, how good is Claypool? Oi, oi. Um, he's incredibly impressive. I'll say that it was why he did some of the things he did this year were incredibly impressive. I'll, I'll fully admit that, um, and I will take an L if that matters for anything. Like I didn't see it, um, I did not see that in his profile, but that's fine. I get things wrong constantly, um, and he's athletic as all get out, which means he has uh, a, a, one of the ceilings we chase most of all, right? The Calvin Johnson ceiling. I will say, combine wise. He actually tests the most Calvin Johnson-like. I actually have a Calvin Johnson index because I'm so sick of the combine. I just have fun with it at this point. So I have 
uh, a model that literally compares their physical metrics from the combine to Calvin Johnson. That's literally the goal. And he was the most Calvin Johnson-like from this category physically. So that's that's a hell of an impressive feat. And yeah, it, some of the games and plays he made this year which were f- fun to watch. And you know fun's impressive. I've already issued shade on him unmeaning to earlier. I apologize for that. Uh, Jen Cam, he's a sell. If I had to sell one of these guys, yeah, he, he's the one on my list. Um, if he answers my questions, even if he doesn't do Devi, can someone post his three plant the flag 2020 rookie props because I won't be in the voice chat? Uh, can someone do that for him? Or tell him to at me on Twitter and I'll list him or whatever. And, and it was more Chase and uh, Bateman, I guess. Uh, you've reached 90% of your recording limit. Please <laughs> save to a start. Have I been going that long? I apologize. Uh, Clayporn uh, just adds Electro Nick. Electro Nick says, I see. Once he stops this specific answer, I'm going to save and start a new one. Save. I just caught up with you. Sorry. Uh, Rhythm says, I am not connected to a voice channel. Type join to get me in on one. I'm guessing that's not for me. Uh, then there's some messages about the recording starting. Uh, Dinkin' Flinker. Flickin' I guess that's meant to be Dick and Flickin', to be honest. Uh, Dickin' Flickin' Nice. Um, recording will only be available for 24 hours. Another hat tip. Thanks again, Peter. No problem, man. Uh, Electro Nick hat tip to you too appreciate it so much peter thanks for joining us oh am i getting canceled out cool um no no problem at all this has been fun man appreciate it uh burn the bad man thanks peter it's been a pleasure i agree and concur dick and the flicker thanks pete uh not a problem electro nick posted the results there honorable mention appreciate that uh alba looking for listening are those his three top wide receivers wise yeah right now but i haven't finished my process um i've reached the end thanks this was great and these are all just thanks planting the flags i appreciate it guys i really appreciate you asking me to do it this is fun um it's kind of like a live stream but there are more people in chats than typically are on my monday grind sessions when there's normally like four or five of us just nerding out about something or other so uh this was a lot of fun appreciate it peter thank you so much for joining i'm sure uh, if you ever if would ever like to come back, we'd be happy to have you. Thank you so yeah. much. Sure thing, no problem. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks.